Welcome to the latest episode of the Edgar Rice Burroughs mini podcast. These short podcasts are meant to supplement the full-length episodes I host along, uh, along with Jess Terrell and Scott Stewart, which we usually talk about one of Burroughs' novels in detail. My name is Tim DeForest. I'm the author of several books about subjects such as old-time radio, pulp magazines, and the such. And I keep a blog about uh, those subjects at comics, old-time radio, and other cool stuff. Now, currently, we're using the mini-podcast to do a chapter-by-chapter analysis of the 1912 novel Tarzan of the Apes. In this episode, we'll be talking about Chapter 13. Now, please note that I may include spoilers both for this novel and occasionally for later novels in the series. Also, I'd recommend that you take a few minutes to reread the chapter we're talking about today, as I will be assuming that you're familiar with it as we discuss it. So Chapter 13 is titled His Own Kind. And the chapter begins with with Tarzan still keeping the natives in fear and occasionally killing one of them. In fact, I wonder if Burroughs started off the chapter with with more of that as a way to subtly call out Tarzan for a bit of hypocrisy he displays later in this chapter. The ape man is definitely the hero of the book, but Burroughs does start out this chapter by having him kill a native from ambush, but then later... He has Tarzan look disapprovingly when the sailor named Snipes backshoots one of his companions. Now, of course, in Tarzan's mind, he's justified in killing anyone not in his tribe and probably saw what Snipes did as a betrayal of tribal ethics. But the juxtapose of the two killings might be deliberate so that Burroughs can show us that Tarzan's jungle upbringing has left him with a skewed moral sensibility. Now, As far as plot developments, this is obviously a key chapter, with the Porter Party being stranded in the jungle in much the same way that the Greystokes had been 20 years earlier. Now, we see an example of Burroughs' unabashed use of coincidence, as Cecil Clayton is Tarzan's cousin, and as far as anyone back in England knows, is is heir to the Greystoke fortune. Now, and he is just randomly stranded on the exact same spot of the African coast where his aunt and uncle were stranded 20 years before. Burroughs often used unlikely coincidence to move his plots along, but he usually gets away with it. When we're reading the novels, we're not normally bothered by his use of coincidence. Both the fast pacing of his stories and his clear prose often leave us either not thinking about the coincidences or giving... uh, giving us the sense that the coincidences all fit into the story in an almost poetic rhythm. The coincidence of the Porter Party being stranded in the exact same spot as the Greystrokes were is just way out there. In fact, in the next novel, The Return of Tarzan, several more groups of shipwreck characters will end up in or near the same place as well. The Coast Guard really needs to mark that spot on their map. The pacing of the novel picks up at this point. Nearly every chapter from here on end will here on will end at a cliffhanger, and Burroughs will uh, will be bringing will be rapidly shifting the narrative point of view from one character to another, generating a feeling of tension and danger that will overlay most of the remaining story. He also uses the action to tell us key things about new characters. The, the sailors are clearly murderous. As we see from Snipes' backshooting and the amused reactions the other sailors have from this, Cecil Clayton is brave and quick thinking, seen both in his confrontation with Snipes 
and his picking up and hiding the revolver, as well as his decision to go after Professor Porter and Mr. Philander. James, we find out, knows how to use a revolver and can be trusted to look after herself and Esmeralda when left in the cabin. Esmeralda, sadly, is pure racial stereotype, which we'll talk about a little more in a later chapter when we more vividly see this. Porter and Philander are largely comic relief characters, giving a shared one-note personality that sees them obliviously getting themselves into danger. I actually like them. I think Burroughs does get a few nice laughs out of their antics to help balance out the constant danger everyone else will be in. But I know the pair has been known to get on the nerves of some fans of the novels, and I certainly understand that reaction. In this chapter, Tarzan leaves a note on the cabin door, which he signs Tarzan of the Apes. As a plot device, it and Tarzan's spear cast at Snipes is a great way of partially introducing his existence to the other characters, while still leaving him shrouded in mystery from their point of view. But when you think about it, Tarzan should have signed the note White Skin of the Apes. Remember that he could read and write English, but he couldn't speak it. He could not have spelled Tarzan's name phonetically and would have simply written the English translation of his name. I honestly don't know if Burroughs simply didn't think of that or if he was deliberately ignored it for dramatic reasons. The flow of the story really does work better without the awkward white skin replacing Tarzan. So this is a case in which reality does need to step aside for the sake of good storytelling. As I said, Burroughs begins the chapter, begins ending chapters with cliffhangers. This time, we end up with three of them. The girls are in the cabin alone, while Cecil is alone in the jungle looking for Porter and Philander, and while those two elderly gentlemen are wandering in the wrong direction while trying to get back home. Now, that's it for this time. Uh, we'll be back with another episode soon. In the meantime, my name again is Tim DeForest. Please visit my blog at Comics, Old Time Radio, and Other Cool Stuff. You can find a link to my Amazon.com author page there as well. And thank you for listening. <laughs>